Welcome back to True Crime on Easy Street. I'm sitting here with a couple of professionals. My name is Katie Givens, and I am not a lawyer. I'm Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. I don't know who she thinks she's sitting with, but my name is Scott Wright, and I am a mediocre journalist. Well, this week... We're coming and we've back already with, spilled a drink. Yeah. Can I just say that it's a, I mean, I almost had a heart attack. Sorry, Nothing came out. I guess it must have spilled on the back end. It was a the can fell over and the gas. Yeah, there was. That came out of my Kelly completely mouth. freaked out. She thought we had lost a computer, but. A computer and a board and everything. Yeah. I just, I was a little bit dramatic. All good. Yeah, you were a little dramatic. <laughs> That's what my family's shocked by this. Stay at home. They don't listen, so all never mind. Day. You stayed home all day on a Monday. Who knows what you did today? Oh, there, there's no telling. Yeah. Well, Scott, what, what year are we in this week? Well, we've done this before 1986, and so I tried to approach 1986. You guys know how I like to set the table is until we come up with a better term for this thing that I do. Uh, we're going to call it setting the table. So it's 1986 again. I think uh, Katie told me last week that it was the same setup that we had for the Amy Bishop story that we did a few months ago. That's where her story ago. started anyway. Right. So if I'd been thinking, I would have just progressed one year and done 87, which is when the trial took place in this mm-hmm. case. But I didn't think of that until just this second. And so what I decided to do on Friday when I did some research is I went to the library and I dug up 1986 again, but from a, from a different perspective, this time it is from a local perspective. So I just okay. dug into Cherokee County Herald That's stories. why you were sending us pictures of newspapers. Yes. Ah. All weekend long. Sorry and, about but that. But before you set the table, let's just say this. The case that we are talking about today is our second most requested case since we started I think you're right. very this true. podcast. Yeah. A lot of people have requested this one. And Everyone kept being like, when are you going to do it? And we're like, it's on the list. It's, it's on the we're, list. We're definitely going to do that. We're definitely going to do that. And so to all of you folks who could not wait, mm-hmm. that wait is over. We're doing it today. Today is the day. Should I? Are, are we going to go ahead and tell them who we're talking about? Or, go ahead. Okay. It, do it's, it. It's about the 1986 murders in Tidmore Bend, which is just a few miles from here over in Etowah County. They were committed by Glenn William Holiday, And if you're looking that up on your own, don't do what I did and spell it like a festive occasion on the calendar. It is spelled H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y. Holla. Holla. Day. You'll have a little bit more luck finding Mm -hmm. things on the internet, but not much. As Katie and I discussed before we turned on the microphones, there's not a lot of information. If there was a book... Uh, if at the Cherokee County Library or the Etowah County or the Gadsden City Library or on Amazon, I did not find it. For as many stories as we've heard from locals and as much as this story has been requested from us, there was just so little information on the internet. He pretty much was the boogeyman here for many years. Still to this day, true. there's so many stories that surround Glenn Holiday in this area. And, uh, you know, I love everybody's stories. I love hearing about them. It's just really hard to validate whether they're true or not. <laughs> yeah. Very. Agreed. And so, so in an attempt to do local things uh, for 1986, I went to the library and looked through some old copies of the Cherokee County Herald. And the first thing that popped out at me in January of 86, Sand Rock sophomore Eric Mackey was one of the featured speakers at the County 4-H Club's annual appreciation night. And today... Who is Eric Mackey today? He is the state superintendent of education for the state of Alabama, and he is a doctor. 
That is correct. <laughs> he <laughs> is. So uh, he is. I know, felt that burn. Yeah. Keep aiming high. Uh, so, uh, Cherokee County was celebrating its sesquicentennial in 1986. That means 150 years. I had okay. to look it up just to be certain. Uh, so the Cherokee County Post Herald had a lot of stories that were woven into uh, all of the copies that I I went through all season uh, all year long. Uh, in February, the local Kmart store ran an ad featuring, among other sale items, a 19-inch color television set for $199. And I bet it was that big box. It was huge. And it was probably one of the biggest screens that you could find at the time and still fit onto a TV stand. I mean, unless it was shaped like a refrigerator tipped over on its side, like the ones that we all grew up with in the living room. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, technology was mm-hmm. progressing, but still, a 19-inch color TV was a pretty good-sized television in 1986. I, I mean, I have had a 19-inch laptop computer. Exactly. Thanks for reminding us how old we are, <laughs> Katie <laughs> Gibbons. Uh, and also at the uh, Radio Shack and Center, you could get a Tandy home computer for $999. And I'll bet that thing was just about as advanced as the watches we are all wearing on our wrists right now. I can remember Shane talking about saving up all of his money from all of his jobs to buy him a, one of those computers. One of those huge, mm-hmm. ginormous computers that where, where the, the, the CPU and the keyboard were one unit and the computer, maybe even the TV, uh, the monitor itself was attached to that same thing all in one big piece of molded plastic mm-hmm. and weighed 20 pounds and, you know. And did it always, could do simple it math. typed green, right? Weren't all the letters green? Yeah, it was before is really, that a, is that uh, a, it was before the, the screen technology really got to the point where you could make things that looked uh Noticeable, or that's not the word I'm looking for. But, More colorful, maybe? Or, or, actually, or like, like the green. things they were supposed to be. Or not green. Let's just go with not <laughs> green. Yeah, the, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, Auburn head coach Pat Dye spoke at the center quarterback club on February the 17th. Uh, War Eagle. Yeah. Uh, thanks. That's for you, not for me. Uh-huh. Uh, in May, the Leesburg Police Department got its first ever radar gun so that they could uh, catch speeding motorists. It was that in was the, the paper. Day. There was a photograph. Somebody leaned through the window of the patrol car and took a picture of the radar gun on the dash. It was as big as a, a carton of milk. It was huge. <laughs> it was not small. Uh, in July, Kelly, you're going to love this because your husband and I had this conversation over the weekend. The Weiss Lake Plaza here in center, mm-hmm. uh, which is currently owned by your husband, was formally given that name in a contest held among the shops that were in the location at the time. A lady named Lynn Brewer won the naming contest and was awarded, wait for it, a 10-speed bicycle from the Kmart, which was there, a 14-pound pork loin from the Piggly Wiggly, which was there at the time, one free, H, uh, one free VHS movie rental from the Video Hut, and two pairs of shoes from the Shoe Outlet. That was her reward. Score! For naming Weiss Lake Plaza one of the least creative things I was I've about ever to heard. say. What? Listen, there were so what many. Were the other options? I don't know what the other names were, but they were other not people, as magical. 20 other people gave the same answer, so they had to draw them all out of a hat. Oh, everybody oh. said Plaza. Everybody said Weiss Lake Plaza. Weiss Lake Plaza. Because yeah. the Cherokee Plaza was already taken. Well, everything in this county is named <laughs> after Weiss Lake. So, you know, maybe that's what started the trend that continues to this day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in October, just so that Katie gets involved in this, my fellow Cedar Bluff alumnus, at the homecoming dinner on October the 10th at Cedar Bluff High School in the cafeteria, 
The dinner was $3 a plate, and it doesn't say in the article exactly what the meal was, but I'm almost positive because it's what we were fed. It's what the football team was fed before the game that night. I'm pretty sure it was spaghetti. Got a carb load right then oh, before yeah. those games. We were always time. fed um, hamburgers or chicken fingers before the game. Well, maybe. We didn't, they didn't get fancy. Let maybe me just we ask complained you, enough about ta- spaghetti. Homecoming dinner, I did not experience such a thing in high school. Every Friday night, like when, when all the alumni came from out of town, you could get there early at 5 o'clock and they would have a dinner in the cafeteria that was for the alumni to come and, and pitch in three bucks in this case mm-hmm. to, to generate money for the athletic department funds. And it would be spaghetti and a salad and a piece of bread. And I don't think we did that at, at CCHS. Well, but no, well you might have had more than 40 people that would have showed up. Yeah. <laughs> you guys had the, Pat Dye came to your quarterback club. Yes. You didn't need a spaghetti dinner. You had Pat Dye. No, we had Pat Dye. Yeah, yeah and you, you guys probably paid 10 bucks a ticket and had steaks and the whole schmear. We had spaghetti. I love spaghetti. And we're darn glad to get it. I love spaghetti. And Cedar Bluff 140. $3 spaghetti? Bring it on. Well, those were the days, right? (laughs) Um, So let's get to the childhood of Glenn William Holiday. Once more, uh, H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y. He was born in 1949. Uh, We find out later in his adult life that he was neglected uh, as, a, as a child by his parents. He was slightly mentally deficient, and he had no schooling past the sixth grade. He had a juvenile record, but there is no record of those specifics uh, that I could find. So let's go through to his adult life, and we're going to find him at 37 years old, and he is in the Cherokee County Jail here in Center which if you don't know where that is, I've done it until I'm blue in the face. ABC, Triangle, Atlanta, Birmingham, Chattanooga. We're dead center in the middle of that triangle if you draw a line on the map. And a nice little resort community around Weiss Lake, which we've mentioned already today. But the actual jail is literally right across the road from where we record. <laughs> that is correct. It is right across the street. And, and in fact, it was the old jail at the time, but it was also right across the street. It, I mean, was, it was pretty much it was, in the same spot. Yeah, very, very close, very close. but a lot smaller. A lot smaller, a smaller back jail. then. We, we need more room. We're Unfortunately. a bigger community, well, and so it, we have more all, derelicts. Yeah, everyone in the county. We don't have a city jail. Yeah, so, uh, so Glenn Holiday's criminal record went back at least 20 years, all of his adult life, back to 1966. According to Etowah County Sheriff Roy McDowell, who was uh, interviewed extensively in the Gadsden Times for the stories that I was able to dig up over the mm-hmm. weekend about this incident, uh, as recorded uh, reported by a reporter named Steve Howard. Um, so some of the charges that Glenn Holiday faced as an adult included, <clears throat> this is going to take a second, assault, burglary, disturbing the peace, peeping Tom, which I did not know was a classification of specific uh, delinquency, trespassing, buying and receiving stolen property, illegal possession of a firearm, assaulting a law enforcement officer, and wait for it, rape, in November of 1977, for which he was convicted to 15 years in prison. So at least 10 to 12 previous felony convictions. Oh, and we can add kidnapping and escape charges in Cherokee County, which got him on the FBI's most wanted list. McDowell, Sheriff McDowell said that Holiday had attempted to escape from the Etowah County Jail, which is adjacent to us. That's where Gadsden is located. Uh, 10 years earlier, he tried to escape from the Etowah County Jail, possibly during his rape conviction situation. You said that was in 77? I'm going to guess about 77 uh, because that's when the, the rape charge uh, ended up on his record. So he tried to climb out of a fourth story window and scale down the wall with a rope, but the rope broke and he fell and Ouch. broke both of his legs and both of his ankles 
What a shame. Mm. Mm-hmm. That immobilized him for a while. Uh, oh, for long enough for them to end his first escape attempt uh, with a thumbs down. So now we get to March the 18th, 1986, right here in Cherokee County. And I called this morning former Cherokee County Sheriff Roy Wynn, who's an old friend of mine. He actually sold me the piece of property that my house sits on today, 24 years ago. Uh, and he's a family friend, always has been. Uh, but he was a deputy at the time in 86. And he told me, and these are his words that I'm paraphrasing, Holiday was on hold for authorities in another adjacent county, DeKalb County, for uh, receiving stolen property. But the jail in Fort Payne was being remodeled. Mm-hmm. And so they brought him over to Cherokee County and they brought a DeKalb County jailer with him to keep an eye on him. But at some point on March the 18th, while all of the Cherokee County deputies were over in the courthouse providing uh, law enforcement protection for whatever court proceeding was going on. Could be testimony or what, and, yeah. you know, anything else they have to do over there. Whatever happens in the courthouse. Um, the jailer, Holiday convinced the jailer that he needed to make a phone call. Suspicious, I know, but whatever, they let him out of the cell. And as soon as that happened, Holiday, who was a large man, I wasn't really able to find any vital statistics on exactly how big he was, but he looks like a big guy in the photos that I've seen. When the jailer let him out, he overpowered the jailer, took his weapon from him, threw him in the jail cell. And then at some point, not long after that, another deputy or a jailer shows up. He ends up in the jail cell as well. And this is uh, Sheriff Wynn telling me that Holiday walks up onto Main Street, flags down someone. I don't know if Roy didn't know if he knew the guy or if the guy just stopped because back then. Because it's 1986. Yeah. Hey, this guy looks like he needs help. Let me stop and see what he wants. He's a local fisherman running errands in his pickup truck. Holiday waves a gun at him, climbs in, and tells him to drive towards Georgia. And the state line, the Georgia state line is about 15, 20 miles away from where we're sitting right now. So at one point, and this is Roy telling me this story again, uh, the guy gets into a curve and he starts to think, hey, you know what? I think this guy's going to kill me, so I need to bail. So he does. He bails out of the truck, rolls off into the ditch, and Holiday takes off in the truck and disappears for five months. Nobody sees this guy. There's, a, there's a, at least a, a regional manhunt going on. And I guess since he escaped from the jail and the FBI is involved, it's a nationwide manhunt at this point. So the NCIC computers are involved and and his description and everything's out there. They're looking for this guy, but it's five months later before he turns up again. And that is on the night of August the 25th, 1986, when he shoots and kills three people in the Tidmore Bend community, which is, again, if we're going the other way from Georgia, it's about 15 or 20 miles towards Gadsden from where we're sitting right now. So Mm -hmm. you can find all of these little communities on the map if you look hard enough. If you zoom in close enough on Google Maps, I'm assuming these small communities that aren't official townships will show up, but I don't know. I didn't try it today. So there's a story that is told later by a guy named Richard John Hardy. Uh, he says that he saw Holiday in Nashville two days before these crimes happened. And Holiday admits later that he spent some time in Nashville, and there's never any clear indication why that I could find, but he does, and he admits to it. He was using the alias Bobby Hill at the time, but he told this gentleman, Mr. Hardy, that my girlfriend, whose name is Becky, is dating a new man, and if she doesn't stop dating him, I'm going to go kill her. So he testifies to that later. Uh, and he, he had threatened his ex-wife on several occasions, according to Sheriff McDowell from Etowah County, uh, and that was all in the August 26th issue of the Gadsden Times, including a phone call to his ex-wife the night before the murders took place. 
Uh, she told Holiday that she had a new boyfriend and had just had him for a day or so. And so in the early morning hours of Monday, August the 25th, 1986, it was around 1.30 a.m., and I'm going to read you the names of the three uh, victims right now. Rebecca Ledbetter Holiday was 31 years old. William David Robinson was 25. He was from Atala, and that was Rebecca's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And Larry Thomas Jr. was 16 years old and just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was just like a neighbor, right? He was the neighbor. And, and there was a... Rebecca- he, was, he was friends with Rebecca's son. Rebecca's sister. Uh, Rebecca's, uh, or maybe the son, they were both there. Is her son's yeah. friend and yeah. he lived nearby, Larry okay. Thomas Jr. Okay. And because there were other people here, right? Yes. There were, mm. the, the son was there. Uh, Shay, Shay Ledbetter, Ledbetter was his name. And Rebecca's 17 year old sister, Tina Ledbetter was also in the house. And I just assumed that maybe mm. that the Thomas boy and the Ledbetter sister were boyfriend and girlfriend. They're about the same age, but maybe not. That was just an assumption on my part. Well, the, in the, uh, court documents, it states that. Larry Thomas Jr. was a friend of Shay Ledbetter. Okay, at the so sun. he was just crashing with his buddy that night at, at his house right next door. Yes. Okay. So at one thirty in the morning, and the sheriff Sheriff McDowell says later that he has no idea how Holiday got to the mobile home in Tidmore Bend where this crime took place. So he enters the home, and Shay Ledbetter, the twelve-year-old son of Rebecca, and the seventeen-year-old sister Tina, they both get out of the house, and there's some confusion at what happens. He, he shoots. The Taylor boy is walking across the driveway to his own home. Thomas boy, Larry Thomas Jr. I'm sorry, what did I say? Taylor Thomas. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Thomas- he actually exits the mobile home to go next door to get some dinner. Okay. And they hear shots. And he... Yeah. From inside the shot. trailer, they hear the shots. And he ends up... He's been shot in the, in the left side of his torso and in the left arm. And he's laying uh, immobile on the ground when he is found shortly after that. And so Holiday continues down the hallway. He goes into Shay Ledbetter's bedroom and tries to turn on the light. I guess he couldn't mm-hmm. find the light switch or maybe the bulb was out. Anyway, he continues down the hallway. The two kids run out and they yes. run to the neighbor's house and they're the ones who tell Larry Thomas Sr. what's going on. And Larry Thomas Sr., unfortunately, is the man who finds his son yes. dead in the driveway. Um, and so Holiday continues into, down the hallway into the back of the house, and he shoots and kills uh, both William David Robinson and Rebecca Ledbetter Holiday in her bedroom. Robinson is shot in the chest, and he shoots his wife uh, in the back of the head, and she doesn't die immediately. She dies in the hospital a couple of hours later, but Robinson is dead on the scene. Thomas Jr. is dead on the scene, and he would have been a sophomore at Gaston High School just a couple of days after that. So when he busted the door and he shoots David Robinson in the chest, um, Rebecca Holiday runs to a corner Mm -hmm. in the room and crouches down and puts her head kind of down on her knees and that's when he shoots her. Yes. Um, And so, like I said, Sheriff McDowell wasn't sure at the time and I don't know that it's ever uh, figured out because after three days on the Gadsden Times, the story disappears from the front page and if you've ever tried to go back and look at old microfilm from the 80s, it's really a pain in the ass. Uh, it's, you've got to zoom in so close to get any sort of resolution so that you can read the story and get it printed off that you really, literally have to print it like two columns at a time and then just zoom out. And so after, I noticed that after three days, the story was gone from the front page. And probably it was somewhere else in the, in the paper for weeks after that. 
but I just gave up looking and I figured we could get it from somewhere else or that you guys would, you know, I knew that you guys were doing research as well. So after three days, I stopped. Um, so like I said, they don't know how he got there, but they know how he left because he took his wife's brown Oldsmobile Cutlass, but less than two miles down the road, he ran off the road into a ditch and abandoned the vehicle when he couldn't get it back onto the road. Uh, there were multiple phone calls to the sheriff's office about possible sightings of holidays in the days afterwards, including a report the following day from Albertville, which is a town about 20 minutes away, 20 miles away mm-hmm. from Gadsden, uh, that a man matching holidays description walked into a used car dealership, asked to test drive a 1968 short wheelbase Ford pickup and never brought it back. Braz. Yeah. If only they had been like listening to the news, they might have been suspicious, but whatever. It was 86. You know, it was, it was different back then. A couple of weeks later, the story made the national news. It was in the August 26th edition of the Los Angeles Times. They had helicopters and bloodhounds looking for him. There was a heavy presence a couple of days later on Wednesday, August the 27th at the wife's funeral. Uh, there was suspicion that Holiday had been seen at a grocery store in nearby Hoax Bluff. So did they think he was going to show up to the funeral? That, that was the concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, uh, in, there are images in the Gadsden Times from Thursday the 28th that show deputies surrounding the cemetery with guns drawn. And it says in the story that there were all available cars, I'm quoting, from the Etowah County Sheriff's Department, six cars from the Gadsden Police Department, and four state trooper vehicles were also surrounding cemetery where the funeral took place. And that is as far as I go in this story, and I will hand it off to you guys. Okay, I'll take it from here. On the afternoon of August 29th, 1986, Glenn Holiday calls Doris Ruth Nance. Miss Nance is a neighbor of Glenn's father, and he told Miss Nance that he had, quote, done a bad thing. He stated that he had not meant to kill Larry Thomas Jr., he thought Thomas was his ex-wife's boyfriend coming out of the mobile home. So he's waiting outside. And when, the, when uh, Larry Thomas Jr. came out, he thought that was the new boyfriend. And so he shot him. In the meantime, when all this is happening, there are stories just running rampant. There are, this man is everywhere. He has been spotted everywhere. He is in everybody's backyard. He is in everybody's attic. He's in everybody's basement. The town especially here, is just going crazy over this escapee. And rightfully so, everybody was terrified. So they were getting all kinds of reports. You still hear the stories to this day of, oh, I saw him running through my backyard, or I know somebody who he ran through their backyard, or, you know. Anyway, so you hear all of these stories, and that's happening in Cherokee County. It's happening in Etowah County. It's, you know, Apparently, it's happening up in, uh, where did you say, the, the in, car dealership? Uh, Albert, that's Albertville. Well, Albertville, so, but he yeah. actually stole a car there, correct? Uh, yeah, or I, po- possibly stole the, the, the sheriff truck. Was, he would never confirm it, but it, it sounded suspicious. I mean, the guy matched the description when they sent him the picture to the, to the guys at the used car dealership. But I don't and the know fact that, that he did not bring it. the truck back. Right. Correct. Okay. Um, so, that was August the 29th when he calls Miss Doris, Ruth Nance, and tells her these things. On Friday, September the 12th, 1986, Doyle Embry Wallace, age 61, was shot in the neck at his home on Cedar Bend Road in Southside, Alabama, sometime after 9 p.m. Mrs. Wallace, Doyle's wife, is the aunt of Rebecca Ledbetter Holiday. 
and she hid in a closet and was not hurt. It is believed that the same weapon was used to murder Mr. Wallace as the previous three murders that you talked about in the mobile home. Right. But this is never going to truly be confirmed, and he's never going to be brought to justice for this particular murder. Am I correct, Yeah, guys? It is, mm-hmm. as far as I know, yeah. and I was always confused about that because it always seemed to me like this was a, that was a home run ball. It's, it's like they never pursued charges on that crime at all against anyone. Yeah. They, were, they were focusing. It, it's kind of like they were focusing on what they knew they could get, mm-hmm. and then they knew that he was the man, so they didn't pursue in this particular murder. It, it's, it's a shame that Mr. Wallace is never going to truly receive justice. But, I mean, you know, listen to how this turns out, and maybe he did, right. you know? Yeah. On the night of October the 9th, 1986, so if you guys remember, what was the date that he escaped from the jail here? That was in March. March. Escaped. We're in the We're into October. Yeah. This is how long this yeah. man is Escape on March running the 18th, around. Murders on August the 25th. More murders in September. And, and now we're going to come to the night of October the 9th, 1986, a woman named Margaret Lavelle called the sheriff's office to report a prowler slash peeping Tom near an apartment complex in Gainesville, Florida, Mm -hmm. near the University of Florida. So we're all the way into Florida now. We've been to almost to Georgia, then back to Etowah County, then, then to Nashville. I mean... You know, I wonder if they found a short wheelbase 1968 Ford pickup truck somewhere in Gainesville, Florida, because that's a good 10, 12 hour drive, not to mention how long it would take him to walk there. Yes. Yeah. He for sure did not walk there. Yeah. Yes. That would be interesting to know if they ever found that vehicle. The apartment that this prowler slash peeping Tom was near belonged to two college girls and they were asleep. And so Margaret Lavelle lives um, in a, in a, in an apartment complex near these girls. I never got the sense if it was all the same complex or if they were like two complexes yeah. side by side. Like maybe townhouses that were adjacent maybe. to each other or just across the street in a house. But she could maybe. see what was going on. But Margaret and John Lavelle lived near here and she says that she was used to um, you know, college kids playing pranks and being out there and but this was different. She said this was a man and he was acting very strange, and he was peeping into the windows of where these two college girls were sleeping. So Margaret and her husband, John, they, they call the sheriff's office, and they stay on the line with the dispatch while they send out. The first deputy they send is Chuck Sexton, but Officer Sexton cannot get there in time. It's going to be a little bit of time before he can get there. So... Another officer who is nearby who's having dinner, like it's kind of like her lunch break. Yeah. Uh, Claire Noble, she decides to take the call because she knew she was very close and it, it really didn't matter that she was eating dinner. I mean, she was yeah, like, I'm nearby. We don't have a lot of people on staff. It's going to take him forever. I'm going to get down there. So she goes down there and she's, she gets into the apartment complex and she sees the man. And he raises what she thinks is a gun at him, and then he takes off running. Yeah. He raises this gun, and he, he takes off running. And, 
And the whole time he's yelling, um, this is a toy gun. And I want my mom. I want my he's mom. yelling that over and over. And finally, Officer Chuck Sexton arrives on the scene. And so they're chasing him around the complex. And he's still shouting, this is a toy gun. And I want my mommy. And um, he continues to run from them. Finally, Officer Sexton is able to get to him. And they begin a struggle. And he grabs the officer's gun. Then he grabs the growing of the officer, grabs his crotch. Right. So the officer is able to reach and get his second gun, his, uh, his, his second backup gun. backup gun. Yeah. And that's when he shoots Glenn Holiday where they're struggling. Sure. So well, good for him. Glenn Holiday goes down. He is not dead. Uh, they apprehend him, and they soon learn who this man is. This is Glenn Holiday. He's wanted in Alabama for three murders, possibly four. He's on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. And Holiday also confesses to them that he raped a female college student earlier that night. Mm. So he's claiming that he's already committed one rape, and he's obviously peeping in the windows of an apartment I'm guessing in the hopes of committing another one. Right. Correct. The toy gun, quote, he claimed to have was actually a 32 semi-automatic that had jammed when he raised it and pointed it at Officer Noble. Oh, wow. So she could have, she could have died. Officer Sexton could have died. And just a little bit of, uh, for your information, on this night that all of this happened, it was Officer Sexton's mother's birthday. Oh, yeah. He was so going to he, a party. He was going to go to a party and visit his mother. And he says that all he could keep thinking was, I cannot die on my mother's birthday. When they are struggling together and, the, and Holiday has his gun, that's all he, he He's says. He's fighting for his life. He keeps point. thinking is, I'm not going to die on my mother's birthday. And so, he, luckily, he was able to get that secondary weapon and take him down so that they could apprehend him and finally get this criminal off the streets. And that is where my story ends. I do know we watched, I think we all watched the same little snippet. What was it? 911. It was a it was rescue 911. Rescue 911 hosted by William Shatner that uh, yeah. first appeared in, uh, on television in the early 2000s, I think maybe. I just yeah. remember that uh, that officer was quoted in that saying, you know, once I realized who he was, I felt a lot better about shooting him. You know, I, you know, you never, it, yeah. it, it takes a toll on, on someone to, you know, a normal person to shoot someone. Yeah. He was, he was, he felt a lot better about Well, he what thought that place. what they had was someone who was having some sort of psychotic break yes. and was calling for his about, mom. I want my mom. Yes. He, yes. He it was a, a, and a that's, person with mental illness who Exactly. Was, that's why the hesitation the officers had with him because he, he, did, he did a good job of, of pretending to be really meek and, you know, all I, the while. I want, I want my mom. Well, all the turned, while trying to raise a, a 32 semi-automatic. It out he was pretty good at making a lot of people think that he had issues. Yes. Later that next year, he is sent, you know, of course, he's transported back to Alabama. He's placed on trial for capital murder. In a capital murder trial, you have two sentencing options. 
You can do life in prison without parole. You can do death penalty. Those were the two options at the time. So, there is a trial. He, in the trial, there are different, there's different tellings of this, but in different places you can find where both the prosecutor and the judge at the time both describe Holiday as mentally disabled. They don't use the word dis- mentally disabled in 1986. Right. And we're not going to... You it's know, a term we don't use today. We don't, we don't use that verbiage anymore. And it, I kept finding this word in these articles that I pulled up. It's a sign it, it of just, the times. It just kept... Even though later articles talking about him, because as you'll see, the, the main portion of, of my part here doesn't actually take place in his trial. His trial is... is is pretty quick and he is convicted of this capital murder and the jury comes back and with a sentence recommendation of the death penalty and the judge agrees and he is sentenced to death via the electric chair, which is, is was the form of death penalty back then in Alabama. And in, yes, it was called big yellow mama. Oh yeah, that's right. I oh, forgot about yeah, that. I had a name. Yep. Sentenced to death. Uh, the electrocution, and he is on death row for 14, 15 years, when in 2002, the U.S. Supreme Court decides in the case Atkins versus Virginia that uh, people with intellectual disability cannot be executed. That's the Supreme Court's ruling. This has nothing to do with this case. So, you know, there's civil rights attorneys and everything else that go back and they pick through old cases to make sure that this Supreme Court ruling is being followed. And in 2009, there is in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, his death sentence is overturned. He is one of these cases that gets rummaged through and they decide through testing and through statements and through trial transcripts that he is mentally disabled. They do an IQ test on him. He had a, in this test, he had an IQ of 69. That's what I, that's what I found. Yeah. Which, what is the, what is the? 70. 70. So he's one point under. That's what I right. thought. I, I didn't write it down though. Yeah. It's 70. Or at least that, mm-hmm. I, I saw that as well. That yeah. 70 is the magic number for being declared mentally incompetent. And so he is one point. Yes. Shy of that. One point. On this, on, you know, this test. And. That doesn't mean his conviction is overturned. It just means that his sentence was overturned. So he has to go back to a, tr- to a resentencing hearing. So, not a new trial. Right. Not a new right. trial. Just a new resentencing okay. hearing. Based on what the Supreme Court ruling. Right. So okay. he is brought back to the Etowah County, uh, Etowah County Court, Circuit Court. He, is, he was being held at Atmore, which apparently, I think that's where all death row inmates in the state of right. Alabama yeah, is, are held. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Atmore. And yeah. so he was being held at Atmore. And he even had execution dates prior that had got stayed. And so, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he'd been on death row for 15 years. He should have been executed by now. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how I found the fact that Roy Wynn, the former sheriff here in Cherokee County, had been interviewed in the newspaper. And it made me realize, hey, I should call Roy and ask him about this situation because he was interviewed in a paper about that time, Katie, about 2009, when it was decided that he would be sentenced. He would get a different sentence besides the electric chair. And they called Roy and asked him, and he said, and Roy, Mitch, uh, in Roy uh, Wynn's opinion, 
he was not mentally deficient. He was just able to fool a judge into thinking that he was. And you get a lot mm-hmm. of law enforcement that would probably say the same thing because they don't want to see something that they've worked really hard for overturned by the court system. But that was the sentiment that I read in a couple Well, of you days. just look at the rap sheet this guy has. I mean, all of these, it, it's really hard to get behind um, thinking that he's just doesn't understand right from wrong, doesn't understand that what he's doing is a bad thing, yeah. even calls a lady and says, I did a bad thing. Yes. And he knew how to reload a three fifty seven Magnum at least once. Mm-hmm. Well, the argument here is he planned these murders. He escaped from jail. Mm-hmm. He was smart enough to get a law enforcement officer off his guard enough to take his weapon, put him in a cell, lock him in the cell, get out of that jail, flag somebody down, get a ride. We managed to get that vehicle from him. And now they, I did read something where he couldn't read, he couldn't read and he couldn't, he could, he could write a little bit. He could kind of mimic what he saw, but he couldn't read. And that was the, the main portion of this. Cause he would, he would committed all these crimes, and when he would decide, he, he did a lot of burglary and theft, and he yeah. would go and write down an address that he would see on a mailbox, and he'd go ask somebody, hey, wh- what does this say? Where is this at? Okay. Well, and he was on the run for five months and, and somehow got 800 miles away before anybody caught him. Well, and, and knew to go to a car lot and act like he was going to test drive a vehicle and and leave. I mean, these are not the behaviors of someone that you would say yeah, they're not me mentally capable of knowing that what they're doing is is wrong. And the exactly. state of Alabama gave him a driver's license, apparently. Yeah, and that and and the plea of you know reason of insanity was never entered or anything of that nature. So mm-hmm. that's that was never on the table. But in an article I found, uh, the dist- district attorney at the time, James Hedgepeth, Hedgepeth, how do you say that? Hedgepeth said that um, he didn't believe that he was mentally incompetent. That he just couldn't read or write, and that, but he, you know, he was smart enough to fool a federal judge. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal that. That's what I remembered. I just didn't know who it was. Yes, that's, yeah, that's, that's I well, and that. I mean, he can't read or write. That that does show that he is uneducated, yes. but and it I, doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't understand that what he's doing is wrong. And I think the problem with that is in the yeah. trial, they kept calling him the R word, but I think that was just kind of be derogatory towards him, maybe, and and to uh. You know, say that the things he were do he was doing were terrible, but I, I, I believe that the verbiage was just misused and taken out of context, and that led to the opportunity to have him te- his IQ tested. But it, and it would seem that he could all oh, shucks his way mm-hmm. into something. Oh shucks, I'm just a I'm just a a poor little inmate here, and I just need yeah. to make a phone call. Do you know? Right, he could kind of. Yeah, Do I know that. I'm not going anywhere, but let me call mom and talk to her. Maybe it yeah. was another mom thing. Or I know enough to know I've raised a weapon at a police officer. It didn't fire. So now I'm going to run and I'm going to scream over and over, it's a toy gun. I want my mommy. It's a toy gun. Yeah. That, and, I, and I'm curious to ask Katie this. I mean, anybody I'm assuming who gets placed onto death row, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the quality, and not to, not to try to diminish the quality of the legal representation he got in his first trial, mm-hmm. but if you ever get put on death row anywhere, there's a group of people nationwide, lawyers and attorneys that want to make darn sure, and I don't begrudge them that. No. Hey, let's make sure that this person who is on death row now got a fair shake all yeah. the way down. Let's take this whole case apart from stem to stern and make sure that nothing mm-hmm. was adjudicated improperly, that he got a fair trial. And so he gets much better, 
more experienced lawyers in death penalty type cases once he's on death row. Well, and so some of those appeals that he's made through the year or did make through the years, um, you know, they were very detailed and probably standard fare for people who defend death row inmates. Yeah, and there's a whole there was a whole group of people, like I said, that were going through once that Supreme Court ruling was placed, were going through these cases, you know, to verify these people on death row were not mentally disabled. Like the EJ EJI I didn't try to it, it's a, but it was a group of attorneys and that's that's who found him. But like I said, in two thousand nine, circuit circuit judge Alan Milliken had to resentence him and he resentenced him to life uh, imprisonment without the possibility of parole because that's the only other sentencing option in this capital. He was convicted of capital murder, so that's the only other sentencing option. So it's just kind of at this point it was um, semantics and just... He was just making sure that he does not get out of jail. Yeah, and they just, they have to do a resentencing hearing. His sentence was invalidated, so they have to do a resentencing hearing. So, but he had to come back to the Etowah County Courthouse to do that, and then, you know, he's he was sent right back to prison. Yeah, and uh, and the last thing that Circuit Judge Alan Milliken said to Glenn Holiday as he walked out of the building, you guys have this, he said, uh, yes. you will leave prison in a pine box. And, and he wasn't kidding. <laughs> Foreshadowing yeah. here. Yeah. He was not kidding. Not kidding. And he has done just that. He passed away in 2012. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. 2012 at the age of 62 uh, from cancer. Yeah, that was March the 21st, 2012. Almost exactly mm-hmm. um, 20, 36 years to the day after he escaped from the Cherokee County Jail. So. And all around my birthday, my birthday is March the 20th, and I keep seeing these dates that are all around my birthday, and it <laughs> creeps me out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, justice eventually prevailed. He never saw the light of day again. He and Milligan kept his word. He didn't, yeah. Judge Milligan, you know. Yeah, he didn't try to escape anymore, and he ended up where he was supposed to be, hmm? regardless you, of his mental capacity. And you fast forward to now, and the stories are still there. People still love to rehash what they were doing. It is. If the day he mm-hmm. escapes. If you're of the right age and you live in Cherokee County or you hang around here and you bring up the name Glenn Holiday, you if you're in the room with five people, somebody's going to go, oh, wait a minute, I've got a story about that. I've got well, a story. My dad has a story. Yeah. My aunt has a story. You know, all, all of this starts happening. Now that we're here, before we, when we put this episode out, if you've listened this far... Go comment on our social media and tell us your story. Yeah, if you've got one. We would, we would love to hear it. Email us at truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com and tell us the long yeah. version yeah. of your story. Knowing, we would love to hear it. Knowing if you do that, that you are dating yourself, you'll have to be at least a teenager <laughs> in the mid-80s. So you'd have to be born sometime before 1975 to have any vivid memory of exactly mm-hmm. how this happened. But he terrorized several communities. Um, he, he murdered individuals. I mean, he had actual victims. Then he had a community. Of victims, people were yeah. afraid. People were, you know, they didn't want to be the next Glenn Holiday victim. And then even on down uh, into Florida, into Gainesville, Florida, and he's looking for college girls to rape. I mean, yeah, this guy just—he was just all over the place. By his own admission, found one on the day he was captured. Yes, was looking for another one when they called and the had cops. already been in jail for rape previously correct in 77 yes Yes. so shouldn't really shouldn't have been let out seems just think if he had if he had just stayed in jail 
in seventy seven, if, if he'd served that fifteen year sentence that he was given, exactly mm-hmm. that he didn't get, obviously, because seventy seven, you got to figure it was seventy eight before he was sent to jail, and he's out in eighty six. That's eight years later, and he'd been out since the first of the year. So figure he got seven years. And he for wasted rape. probably he wasted no time to no start time. committing more crimes, just everywhere, it's, all over the place. It seems like we stumbled across these stories where, and you know, the the legal system is what it is, and it, right. it was all written by people who were trying to be as fair as they can, and compromises were made, but it just seems like there ought to be a better system in place to figure out the people if you're that really rapist, don't need to be out. If you're a rapist and you're given 15 years, you ought to do every day of I that. Yeah. No argument here. I mean, that's, yes. that's ridiculous. But mistakes have been made is what I was getting at. Oh, yeah, yeah, Obviously. yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. So it is. It, it, wow. So here we are. We finished one of our most requested cases in this area. Of cool ass five star reviews. Yes, Y'all we better. Are welcome. Uh huh. Yeah. We better hear back from all of you, all of our lovely listeners. Shout out to my friend Amon Naja from the United Kingdom. Uh, I won't go into the details. Uh, we're we're friends from about five years ago. Uh, he came to visit here. Uh, in Alabama, and we've stayed in touch since. And uh, he texted me last week and said he'd listen to the latest episode. And Fair I enough. said, I promise you, I will give you a shout out as soon as possible. So awesome. There, Amen. Glad to hear from you. Yay, across the pond. Yes. I love it. That's where those international views are coming from. Maybe that I so. see. <laughs> it's in the UK, it's my friend Amen. That and uh, Thad West. Oh, yeah. That's oh, another. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So shout out to Thad and family. Thank you so much yep. for being a, a listener and we see you. Like we, we love it. <laughs> let us let us We're not watching you. We see you, but we see you. But we see it. Let us hear your Glenn Holiday stories though. Go follow us on social media, yes. like, rate, subscribe, leave us a review, tell us a story. Maybe we'll feature you. I can't wait to feature you. Mm-hmm. Good night, everybody. <laughs>